You're listening to New Mommy at 40 podcast. My name is Victoria Latour Dunker, and I'm your host. Welcome to our community. It's a non-judgmental, safe, honest space for mature people who are entering parenthood. So if you're new here, welcome. And if you're coming back, oh, thank you so much for making this community what it is today. Please take a second and follow, subscribe wherever you're listening to this right now. All right. Thanks, everybody, for being here. And let's get into it. Hit it. It didn't happen in my 20s. Who cares? Now I've got all this fancy wisdom to share. Hey, I've got this baby. You're getting the best of me. Because I'm a new mommy of 40. Wait, don't put that in your hair. Oh, oh. I am so excited about our guest today. I have the pleasure of sitting with Camille Guati, who you may know as a talented actor of some of your favorite projects over the years. You have Prison Break, CSI, Daytime Divas, and most recently some amazing work on The Rookie if you haven't caught it. But I think she'd tell you that her most important roles to date are being a wife to her supportive husband, Sai, and being a mother to their amazing, beautiful little boy, Morrison, who's two and a half years old, and their miracle baby, truly, as well as her advocacy for egg donor conception. As she shares her infertility journey and the process of opening her heart to being an egg donor recipient, it's going to bring you hope. It's going to inspire. We're going to laugh. We're going to cry. But I think mostly what we're doing with this chat is opening up the dialogue for all paths to motherhood. So without further ado, let's get into it. Amongst this woman's many God-given gifts, right? She happens to be most known as an actor. But you have many other gifts in your tool belt. So I've researched. But this is the first time that I'm meeting you in person. And we met through a mutual friend. Shout out to Kelly Stewart, the activist, the diva, the goddess that she is. Just rang in the orange light at the Empire State Building for National Infertility Awareness Week. It was amazing. So this is how I have the pleasure of speaking to Camille today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Victoria, for having me. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I think, you know, ironically, what's bringing us together, you, me, and Kelly, is literally being in a space where we all found out later in our lives the importance of fertility awareness. For you, you and your husband who were trying for, was it five, at least five or six years? Well, we were trying from like 37 to... It was really like a full year of us, yeah, going for it. And then okay. we jumped into IVF right after that. Yeah, it was around four years and then five years to have the baby, yeah. yeah. Yeah, of going through. And you did quite, I mean, you tried many methods, right? You did, I know I mean, you didn't really waste time with IUI, right? With the sun. Only because of your chat yeah. the other day, you were like, does anyone ever get pregnant at IUI? And I was thinking the same thing, like, do they? <gasps> You know, I wanted to ask that question so bad because so many people start with IUI. Yeah. They're like, oh, and you know what? Financially, it's the way to go. And, but, and you think, yeah, 
that makes sense. You put the sperm as close as you can, get it to the egg, and all of a sudden you're going to get pregnant. Right. <laughs> but it doesn't happen. I've never known one person that it happens to. Yeah. I want to tell, going back to Calais, I don't know if I've ever really said this to anyone but her. Maybe I did say it when I spoke to her, but she was really the reason why I went into checking myself because... No way. You know, we had worked together couple times actually one time we actually had played lesbian couple and we had to make out which is really funny no way. oh you have to tell me i have yeah. to catch that it's funny yeah yeah we did it on a show i think sex love and secrets i think it was called okay but anyways we ran into each other randomly in an audition as actors do and she told me about what happened or breakup and she's like you know took back her own empowered, you know, empowering herself and took back her fertility by freezing her eggs you told me how many she got i was like oh my gosh this is amazing so I was like, maybe I need to figure this out. And I talked to my husband and it was all, that was the catalyst to start my wheels turning. And the next time I saw her, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what's happening. I actually went to an IVF doctor and wow. they told me I needed to start now. So, And how old were you then? I was 38, 38, turning 39 when I went to the IVF doctor, the IVF doctor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the IVF doctor. But the thing is, is about it's conversation, right? So without mm -hmm. that conversation between Calais and I, I mean, I would have been there or gotten there eventually, but it's information and information is power. I know it's such a cliche saying, but it's so true. Mm -hmm. Without us talking to each other or talking about this, then we just, we're kind of sitting ducks. Yeah. You know, ticking clock, as they say. Yeah. And there is a huge difference, like even two or three years. I mean, for me, yes. I had mine at, I was pregnant at 40 and delivered at 41. And since then, it's just been miscarriages and the egg quality right. is right. completely different. So the right. timing of your conversation is helpful because even though, and we'll get to what you and your husband eventually did, it at least gave you an opportunity to maybe use your own eggs. Maybe, you know what I'm saying? Cause right. you started earlier right. to find out what was wrong or what was you know different about your anatomy in terms of the eggs. Because if you hadn't had that conversation with Kelly, it was priceless well, it at the time. it turns out that it turns out for me, if I didn't, I had advanced diminished ovarian reserve. So I mean, I had a grandma that was well into her forties and had babies, but my other grandma after like 26 couldn't have any more mm. children. She also miscarried. Actually it was stillbirth, you know, <laughs> that whole situation. And unfortunately my reproductive organs take after her than my other grandma. So I had a doctor tell me, well, you know, you probably would have had issues like way before but i still was gonna try my hardest you know yeah. yeah when did you know that you wanted to be a mommy how early do you think i've always had the bug for motherhood i didn't have the bug to get married which is interesting <laughs> but yeah. when i met you know i was like ah career 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 but i always <laughs> knew that i wanted to be a mom but i didn't know that i was gonna have issues, obviously. You know, I brought up Latin, you know, isn't it, it's, you hear all about these women who are just, you know, popping out babies left, right, and center. So I didn't think I was gonna have a problem. And I married at 33 and my husband was younger and he wasn't ready and my friends were having babies and 
I definitely was ready, but he wasn't. So it took some time to like kind of get, you know, the Mm -hmm. idea, get comfortable with the idea for us. It wasn't until around 37, I was 37, that he was, you know, quote unquote ready. And (laughs) you have that experience where you do, you know, first time we do it. And, you know, the way you're supposed to to get pregnant. And I thought I was pregnant. I was like, my boobs were big. (laughs) And, you know, I was having all the symptoms. I'm such an actress, right? My whole (laughs) body is like going into, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. Like people like you're glowing. I'm like, I know I'm 10 days late. I'm pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) And then I got my period and I was like, oh, what's, what was that? But I'm never late. So I took that as a good sign where I was like, well, maybe I was, you know? And then it was from that, that every single time, every month would go by and I'm like, ah, damn, this is, (laughs) what happened to that? They look at me and I get pregnant. What happened to, this is how you get pregnant, but I'm not getting pregnant. So. Right. And you're Latina, right? Yes, I am. This is the other part that I think culturally puts a lot of like pressure on yourself because when you are of color, there's this like expectation or or it's like this thing where we don't get these problems. (laughs) We don't have these problems because no one in our cultures, both of our cultures really talk much about infertility or, you know, any kind of issues. It's just boom, 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 boom. I remember even recently after, because I did in vitro recently and unfortunately it failed and I told my aunt about it and she goes, auntie so-and-so had one at 45. What's wrong? And I just heard about another 45 year old. And I was just like, and I come from a big Haitian family where everyone is like, you know, yeah. it's either everyone's praying or talking about oh, you yeah. and, and talk or popping up babies. And I just thought, Ugh. I don't know. Does that mean there's something wrong with me then? Is that what you're saying? I'm like, so it's the pressure I felt culturally also made me feel, you know, since in trying to have another child, like, what is wrong? Thankfully, in community and people like you speaking out, then you can feel like this is not so abnormal. Right. 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 No, it's not. It's not abnormal at all. But like you were saying, there is a cultural where people, they just, one, they don't, and I want to say they don't believe in infertility. But I Mm. think it's such a hush subject that they just don't talk about it. I mean, I was treating my mom to a facial the other day and the lady in there was Argentinian. She was like, you know, all you need to do is relax. Yes. She's stressed out. And, you know, she's talking to me in Spanish and I'm like, lady, I'm like, it's not just relax. And it's not just because the thing is, infertility exists. Mm-hmm. people, it happens. And it's not just, we don't, it's not because we're not praying hard enough or we're not, you know, relaxed enough, which by the way, when you're diagnosed with this, it's, and it's a diagnosis, let's just say that because yeah. it yeah. is, it is. And it's something that we just, I think we need to be more delicate around the conversation and start talking about, it, especially with family, with our families, because they don't see it the way that yeah. it's supposed to be seen. Yeah, they don't mean no, to be no. bad. You know, they care and they want to see you succeed. So they're just trying For to sure. troubleshoot. I'm like, troubleshoot these eggs. Oh, that's it. <laughs> that's it. It's troubleshooting. It's, it's, it's like, like, it's like let what me is, solve, I'm going to solve this. Mira, 
this is what you need to do. It's like, no, it's not, it's a little bit more complicated than that. But for you, you know, the fact that, you know, you wanted you guys as a family came together and said, okay, let's start trying now. I'm sure the devastation of finding that diagnosis and then being determined to like, okay, what else can we do? Is that what basically brought you to IVF first? Is that what you did then? Oh yeah. Well, we tried for a year and after a year, one of my husband's friends said, and he was a doctor, he was a urologist. And he said, maybe you guys should just go see my guy. And I told you like running into clay and everything, it just all of a sudden started like happening. I started hearing about this one doctor, this IVF doctor. So I was like, let's just go. And we went. And when I got my levels checked, the doctor basically said, you want to get pregnant? You need to do this like tomorrow. And I was like, oh, So he, you know, for those listening, I had an AMH level of 0.54 and the thyroid, can't remember what my FSH was, but basically it was that of mid fifties. So your FSH was higher than the AMH I think, and it's supposed to be the opposite, right? The AMH has has to be high. Yeah. And my AMH was super low. And I was like with the nurse and I was, I was asking, I was like, so what does this mean? Because it says on the sheet, you know, they give you a sheet that my AMH level would be that if I was in my mid fifties and I was 38 at the time. So I said, can I get pregnant? Like, this is the first time I'm hearing of this. And she said, you can get pregnant, but you're going to, you know, you need to do IVF to get pregnant. I said, okay. Like the first time, can I get pregnant? She goes, "Mm, might take you a couple. And I had no idea. There was no education on this at all. So we did, we jumped into it and the first round didn't, none of them worked, but the the first round we retrieved five and two made it to the end. They call that Blastus Mm -hmm. and they actually, and I'm just going to say this. So for people out there who are doing this, we tested them and they came back chromosomally abnormal, but another doctor had told me when he looked at them, he goes, they're called mosaic embryos. So ask your doctor if your embryos happen to be mosaic. And what that means is when they do the PGD testing, it's such a minute, tiny part of the mitochondria that they grab out and they test that Mm -hmm. perhaps that part that they tested was the abnormal part, but all the rest of it could have been normal. So he believes that the mosaic embryos actually are good embryos, but we just so happen to test a bad, minute little part of it. So I remember my friend too said, don't get rid of them. And I was like, no, I'm taking the advice of the doctor. They're bad. They're bad. What am I going to do? Just keep and pay. And no, we're getting rid of them. And it wasn't until my sixth IVF round that that doctor told me, do you still have those embryos? And I said, no, I don't. And he said they would have been good. Camille, you are literally just speaking the results of my embryos just now. Do you have them? No. You do? I do not. I do not. And because what happened exactly, I had 24 that went to 11 that were mature eight were fertilized. Wow. Two actually made it to blastocyst. And the same thing was that she's like, they're like mosaic embryos. And that's why 
I'm looking at you. I'm like, what? <laughs> I can only laugh now. Like all we can do is laugh because oh if we had made this a happy hour to drink, I would just chug something really drink. fast. But that's exactly what she said. They're like, we call oh these mosaic goodness. embryos and this abnormality here and there's this abnormality there. And it's, I'm sorry. And that was it. And we didn't even think wow. to ask any more questions. It's like, who's fighting for a second, you know, right. second opinions for these embryos? Right. Oh, we'll get oh, to that I'm later. Sorry. But no, no, no. Oh. But you know what? This is going to help someone else. Right. So I was meant to hear that, obviously, today. Right. So thank you. Right. And then yes. someone else, we hopefully will, you know, help someone else not be in that situation. In There's nothing situation. I can do now. Right. No. But thank you. So it took you all of that time to get someone to say that to you. So obviously this doctor like really was informed and that can vary right from one fertility specialist to another. So it's good to like have Absolutely. a home, like get a place that you really, really feel that you're taken care of that you're going to get all that information of and are they the ones who suggested to you what you eventually did to be an egg donor recipient how did that no. happen so i mean i kind of bounced around i would go <laughs> so the first fertility doctor i did one round with then bon voyage then it was calais doctor everyone started mentioning this doctor that i just kept on hearing and i told my husband i was like i think i need to try this guy so I went to this other doctor, which, and right when I went to him, I booked a series that was shooting in Atlanta. And I said, all right, here's the situation. What am I going to do? And he would always mention egg donation. So just a quick, because it could be a long story with him, but I was with him for a while. We started with IUI. That didn't work. When I took off to shoot, I said, well, what am I going to do? I can't waste six months. What am I going to do? And he said, oh, we're going to pump you with hormones. We're going to fly your husband out at you know the day. He's going to fly out and do the deed. And you're going to go to a clinic and you're going to get tested to see you know how many follicles you have. We're going to do the whole thing. Wow. So we did that for six months. Nothing happened. Then when I finally came back is when we did four rounds of IVF where we did a banking of embryos and we banked and we banked and we banked oh, with different formulas every time. Like I felt like a scientist. I yeah. was just like, okay, well, if we did this, if we did these drugs this time, then maybe we pull back and we do these drugs this time. <laughs> it was this doctor though, at every single start of IVF, he said, and over here, he'd be like, here, we have this option. And this is, what we're doing. He's like, but over here we have, you know, egg donation. And I remember, I mean, when the first time he mentioned egg donation, I was so angry because mm -hmm. you're sitting in this office with hope of, and he's so good. He's, I mean, there are doctors out there that have no bedside manner, but he's great. And you know, you're just in there with hope of, okay, we're going to do IVF and he's going to explain it to me. He's going to explain it to my husband. And we're going to talk about how we're going to do this. And then he just slips in this egg donor thing. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm just, you like, said what now? Oh yeah. I mean, people who are going through it understand that when they mention this and when they first mentioned it in front of my husband, it felt like everything was turned on me. You know, it kind of felt like 
I was almost felt like I was being talked to like the Charlie Browns. Like I was hearing wah, 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 wah. <laughs> and you know, my husband and him are chatting and I'm just sitting there being like sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into this hole of infertility, yeah. um, feeling broken, feeling like I wasn't good enough. I'm not a good enough wife. How is my husband going to look at me? Is he going to look at me differently? Like this doctor is telling him that I might not be able to produce a baby. And yeah. it's when you're hearing those words for the first time, it's super hurtful and you feel just shame. But cut to <laughs> five times later. Actually, it wasn't even then. It was five times later. And then the last time that we were going to do this, the last time we were going to do IVF, you know, they tell you all you need is one embryo. You just mm -hmm. need one. You just need one. You just need one good one. That's all you need. And I was kind of tapped out at this point, but I wasn't going to stop because I pray. I believe in God. And I was God, just show me a sign. Like what's happening? What is happening? Everyone's like, just let go and let God and this and that. I'm like, how, how do you surrender? Am I, obviously I'm not surrendering because this is not happening. Right. So I was like, I just need a sign. Cause I can't stop. I need you to stop. I need you to stop this or make this happen like something. And we were doing our last round and I was doing what they call like the baseline, which before you start all your, you know, drugs. They check your ovaries to see how many follicles you're working with. Mm -hmm. And the doctor that checked me, he said, you have no, when are you starting this? I'm not finding any follicles. And I was like, oh, you got to check a little harder. I'm starting tonight. You got to find some. And he's like, maybe one. He's like, but there's none. And I just walked out. And that's when I was, my AMH levels at that point were a 0 0.1 when before they were 0.54. So I think that was, and I still get really emotional. Thinking You're making about me cry because, now. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> just thinking of like you hearing that just. Yeah. And it was weird because I remember sitting in my car and it was just like devastated, but also in a weird way, knowing being like, okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Because I couldn't do it on my own. I couldn't stop on my own. And that was yeah. my sign, you yeah. know? It's that weird, it. right? When you ask for a sign, you get it. And you're still like, wait, 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 wait. What? Are you <laughs> Are sure? You sure? <laughs> <laughs> Did you call the right person? Let me tell you my number. My number is, <laughs> you must have met that for somebody else. You should, the room next door. You're, the lady next door. That's who you're <laughs> trying to knock on, not me. I'm Camille. You meant to call Camila. She's next door. <laughs> No, because it's like weird when you ask for a sign, you get it. And it's hard to that surrender, that surrendering yeah. all is very difficult. But the other side of it and what you recognize, and I don't know how long it took you to recognize that to go, okay, because I was going to keep going. So you are definitely telling me that I will not be able to do this this way. This is not going to happen. Okay. So, and there's nothing more that I can do in terms of making yourself still that science experiment. Whew. That was a long ride home. It was, it was. And I have really, really good support system of friends and family. And one of my friends who also went through IVF, she was like, it's just this month. 
go next month. And I was like, I told her, I said, it's done. I'm done. I heard it loud and clear. I am done and it's okay. And as you know, sad as I was, I knew that this was not going to be my path to motherhood, you know? And I had to, that's when I started to go through and really mourn the loss because I hadn't let go until this moment. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, now I get to grieve. Now I get to say, and now I get to relax too. Because I was so holding on, holding on, holding on, holding on. Like, I mean, you should have seen me. If anything was plastic in the house, I'm like, get rid of that. That's a top of work container that has BPA. This is BPA. That can has BPA. <laughs> I'm only drinking this kind of water. I went to some like weird Spanish witch doctor who massaged my uterus and like gave me all these jujus. Like who knew? I was like, <laughs> I sign me up. everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can relate. You know, you can relate, right? I can because, you know, I hesitate sometimes. And this is what last week, for National Infertility Awareness Week allowed me to speak on was just because you see me with one that I gave birth to does not mean that it was an easy road and that it's been easy since. But I do recognize the blessing that she is, you know, the miracle that I have, you know, and it's hard to, I had guilt in speaking to other people who have not been able to have a biological child or a child period. Like they just, and say, oh, you know, I'm part of this. I can understand this week. This means something to me too, while I have this beautiful kid on my lap. Mm. But that has been my, you know, in one sense, you know, when I asked for a sign, after, you know, because I told you privately in our emails about my journey since then, but if anyone's, if this is their first episode, I had a twin pregnancy after my child that I have now, and I lost them two and a half weeks apart. So it was going through that twice was just like, oh, are you kidding me? And I just kept, I felt so weird talking about it because it was obviously sad and a tragic loss because of what we wanted in building out our family. But then I had this kid. So in my head, I was saying, well, at least you got one, but I just didn't want to hear that from someone else. Like, you know, cause you right. don't know how hard it was to get her here. Like, you know, cause she's my rainbow baby too. So, but the grieving part, what hit me when you were just talking about it is allowing that time to grieve and recognizing that this is what I need to do now and take care of myself. What did you do? What was your grieving process like? How do you start that? With a bottle of red wine and a chocolate cake. Yes, girl. <laughs> yes. I, I actually, oh, well, I was lucky. I was fortunate that basically it was a lot of alone time. I needed some time to separate actually from my husband and not from, because he was grieving too, but I needed some time to kind of decompress with all those, you know, four or five years of everything that we went through. And a friend of mine actually said, can I take you away with me? And I said, oh my gosh, where do you want to go? She took me on this trip and it was kind of like an eat, pray, love moment. And I was just basically traveling by myself with her, you know, having her companionship, but also by myself. And it was on that trip that I really grabbed a hold of a donor using a donor and what that meant and how that felt different this time. 
And through that, though, it was a lot of journaling. I'll just be more specific. It was a lot of journaling, a lot of reflection, a lot of prayer, a lot of trying to shift the lens for me of what do genetics mean anyways? You know, I started to think of, well, you know, at some point I'm not going to be here. Do I really care that I'm not passing on my genetics? Mm. You know, what does that mean? And why was I so attached to it? Was I so attached to it because everyone told me that I looked like my mom? Was I so attached to it because I would always envision what my little girl, and I have a little boy, what my little girl would look like. And I thought my little girl would look like me. And then I'm like, well, that's egotistical. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see my face. I just want to see my face. (laughs) And it's so funny because people, you know, when people look at, you know, he has your nose, he has, he has your personality. Well, they are their own person. I started to kind of dissect everything and what does it mean? What does this all mean? And why was I so attached to it all? And for those of you who are actually going through this, I did talk to this fertility therapist and she had said to write a letter. And, you know, even though I didn't have a tangible child, that I was still grieving the loss of the idea of this child for years. I was grasping at roots to make this child come to life. So that you have to write a letter. You don't have to, but her suggestion was writing a letter and saying goodbye. And you can do it by yourself. You can do it as a couple. Because the thing that we also forget too is that sometimes as women, but also this is happening to men too, but as women, we think it's just happening to us and to remember that it's happening to you and your husband and, you know, as a family. So saying goodbye in a letter is really important. Yeah. And then I think it's, trying to shift that lens. And I can go into that if you want me to, because it was actually really beautiful moments when I realized for me, I wanted to be a mom, right? right? And my path to motherhood, it just wasn't working. Right. And when donor, the idea of donor conception was first put on my plate, I felt really threatened by the idea of a donor And I'm going to be hundred percent honest. I felt kind of repulsed. I was like, what? I have to put another woman's egg in my body. And then it's going to be their child, not mine. And it's like the biggest fear of FOMO, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, well, it's my husband and another woman's baby. And then I just carry this child. Yeah, I'm just here. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm just this vessel and that's it. And I'm going to have no attachment to this baby. And and then I started to think about, well, hold on. You want a healthy baby. I can carry. So if, you know, and some women can't. So if I can, then why wouldn't I try that? My husband really wanted he really wanted a genetic child. And that was also part of a little bit of a riff for him and I, because I said, well, I wanted to even playing field. I was like, no, if I can't, you can't. (laughs) And so you could do an egg donor, sperm donor, everything, sperm donor or adoption. (laughs) You know, we looked into fostering children and silver lining in all of this. I started a nonprofit for foster kids. 
because I was really going down that road. And I told my husband, I said, I will try egg donation, but you have to be open to adoption. So he said, yes. And I said, yes, but I did. I shifted the lens from looking at this woman as a threat, as, you know, someone that was taking something from me to a woman who was actually doing a very selfless act and giving me the gift of life, something that I couldn't give myself and allowing me to see this other part of motherhood that I would have never been able to experience. And I just felt so much gratitude coming off of this trip and so much love for these women who actually do this, that it became really easy at that point then to choose a donor. It's like you were opening a portal for your child to meet you, you know, in his own way. And he is how old now? Two and a half. Two and oh, we're, they're so close in age. They're I thought so he close. looks like a big boy. I thought he was older. It's so really funny. Older I know everyone always says that. Everyone's uh, like, oh, he's only two and a half. Uh, I don't know why. A, I think it's his hair. He has a presence about him. He just looked older to me. Like, I thought he was like four. Three, wow. three, four. Yeah. yeah. You know, a lot so. of people say that. Yeah. He's an old soul. He is <laughs> he an old waiting. soul. And he chose you. You know, I really feel that way because, I mean, you know, I had spoken to you about this really hesitant on my side when it comes to egg donation. I mentioned it to my husband and he was just like, we have curry. And it's true. Like, you know, I get that, you know, and I have to say your story and just meeting you has really opened me up to that. I don't even have like a hesitancy really about it anymore because I feel like I've always been open to adoption. Another thing I don't think my husband's really open for, though he appreciates, you know, people who do, it's just maybe not the right choice for him. What this option offers is if you are able to carry, that child is still bonding with you from a very deep place, you know, like you, it's hearing your voice from inside the womb. It's eating what you eat. You still have that bond. And so I just don't think it's ever been, because I remember egg donation, it was all over backstage and <laughs> and all the publications trying to get young actresses who were to go, right. To go. It's like, we know you're broke. So come over here and give us your eggs, you 21 year old spry girl, and we'll pay you. And I think, you know, not even connecting with the fact that, no, you're literally donating your own eggs for someone else. You know, I just, I never even understood like who's using these eggs. I don't know. <laughs> it never even occurred to me as an option until this community and just going through and looking through hashtags and like, trying to grow the community and what's everyone's, you know, what are they doing out there? How are people, because this whole season's been about the journey to parenthood by any ways necessary in your older age. And then I was like, oh, egg donor recipient, what? It's so I'm grateful for the conversation because even if it doesn't turn out to be what we do, it is still such a great option but what you're reminding us is it, it may be a process and it's okay to have that process in understanding whether it is an option for you and that it took you some time to get there. Oh, and I think, me. no, yeah, no, it took me a long time as you heard. It took yeah. Me a very long time. And thank you for your transparency in that, because I mean, automatically as a woman too, and 
I'm like, I know it couldn't be from zero to 10, like no baby. Okay. I'll do egg donation. There's a whole like journey to there, but it's nice of you to be transparent about that. So that if someone is hearing that for the first time or considering it for the first time, that they take the time that they need to find out whether it's the right choice for them. So thankfully you were able to have a successful transfer. So that means all this time, it wasn't a lining issue for you at all. That was was not a just the egg issue. So was that like a relief to find out, okay, so I can carry, I can carry a child. Now it's just a matter of the process of getting ready for that. So was that similar to IVF? Did you have to take medication and all that? Like you would have for a normal IVF, not transfer, but yeah, transfer an IVF transfer. Yeah, transfer. Exactly. So what it, because, you know, your body has to be prepped and primed. They have to make your body, your womb think that it is pregnant. So yeah, I had to go through all of that. We actually, you know, the egg donor, our process for choosing an egg donor or who we chose, the company that we chose was a bit of a corrupt company. So always a story. There's always a story. My goodness. But anyways, but we ended up only having one embryo. Yes. And this egg donor was young and she, you know, they promised that she had high AMH and this, that, and the other, but we only got one embryo that made it to blastus. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, I have over 20 embryos that I put in of my own and not one took. And you're telling me I got one embryo. (laughs) As I I spoke to the IVF doctor and I was, and I told him, I said, and I mean, we are literally putting all of our eggs in this basket. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is the golden egg, Camille. We promise you we're going to take care of it. We know how important this egg is to you. And I said, okay, okay. So this was in Mexico and I, you know, we loaded up, you know, started loading myself up with all the drugs that I needed to prep my body with. Transfer day was there. And I felt good. It was, even though it was just one, there was something about it that I just felt, I kind of knew that it yeah. was going to happen. And we transferred it and we just enjoyed 10 days of chilling out, eating great food, went back home. And I did refrain from taking any home pregnancy tests, but I felt <laughs> nothing. I felt nothing. I was like, oh, you know, this is weird. I feel nothing, but I think I'm pregnant. And yeah, we took that, went in, took the blood test and the doctor, the nurse calls and she said, well, so got your lab results back. And I'm like, oh. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, well, I'm showing like really early signs of a pregnancy. And I was like, oh my God. And I just started screaming and she was like, hello. <laughs> and she goes I wouldn't you know don't get too excited I was like no you have no idea every time I get this phone call this phone call is always like it's the doctor and I knew when the nurse called that the nurse was like and when the doctor calls it's a no and the nurse calls it's a yes so the nurse called and I was like oh my god 
Oh my god, <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> so I said, "You have no idea. This is five years of hearing no, and finally I'm hearing a yes." She's like, "Okay, just relax, down, <laughs> take it easy." I was like, "Okay." But yeah, to finally hear that yes. Oh my gosh. Wow. What a miracle, Camille. One miracle. embryo. That part I did not know. Because I was thinking, egg. if you're going to go, you know, you're hoping right. with a younger donor, you're going to have like, totally. to, you know, I'll have my choices. And you're like, oh, what? <laughs> and mm-hmm. here, that's amazing. Oh, I'm emotional. Sorry. It, I'm probably still, I don't know. I think those hormones are still in my body. It's only been three weeks <laughs> or I'm just moved. <laughs> it's everything. It's, both. it's, it's both. both. After everything that you guys went through to just to get that call, I'm feeling it in my, I get goosebumps just to hear that. Yes. Even if God forbid something happened where you down the line, it's just possibility. It's like, at least I know the yes gives you hope. Any yes. It's like, okay. Exactly. Oh my gosh. So what was pregnancy like for you? I think I was the happiest pregnant woman (laughs) (laughs) ever lived. I don't know. There's, it's so interesting to see, you know, people who, you know, pregnancy can be a one. I was sick. It was not like a straight shot. There was a big issue that happened to me where I was a little bit on bed rest for a while. But all in all, I remember, oh, if I'm throwing up, it's because I'm pregnant. If I'm, you know, if I'm this, it's because I'm pregnant. If I'm moody, it's because (laughs) I'm pregnant. And I just, I was just like praying on this baby every night and every second. I just, I felt like we were meant to meet and we were meant to, I was meant to be his mom. And it's, you know, looking back, you forget all troubles and the struggles that you went through. I mean, we went through it and it just kind of just dissipates and you're like, I'm pregnant. (laughs) And, and then I think too, every time I think I'm like, wow, if any of those pregnancies would have worked, any of those embryos would have taken before I wouldn't have done this and I wouldn't have had my son. And isn't it crazy how, life works to bring you who you're meant to be with. And I just know that if anybody ever chooses egg donation, like you're meant to be with that child and that child, you're meant to be that child's mommy and they're meant to be in your life. And I almost recorded him yesterday on the monitor because he was just going, mommy, he didn't nap. I'm like, please (laughs) don't let this be the stopping point of your nap, but he's like, mommy, 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 mommy. And I was like, if anyone has any doubts that you're going to connect with your child or that your child is not going to think of you as mommy, (laughs) just listen to him right now. (laughs) I am his mother. Yeah. Look at my face of annoyance (laughs) right now. I am his mother. (laughs) And he knows who his mommy is. He definitely knows knows who his his mommy mommy is. I wanted to ask you, because I am thankful that you were transparent about this, but you probably could have just disappeared and not told any about this except your immediate family, maybe, and kept it moving. But something made you passionate about this enough to share your story and be and let us in. What was that for you? Why? 
There were a lot of different reasons, but I think for the most part, I know we emailed each other about this, but I am an oversharer in general too, just in life. Yeah. But <laughs> I knew that there is a difference between this particular subject, but it, this is my story, right? This was our story of how we built a family. And I felt weird being a presence on social media and not saying the truth to say that I got pregnant and not really talk about the struggle of it. I was in secret through a lot of my, the whole journey of me trying to get pregnant, never once said anything. There were little moments that you would see like on mother's day, I would put a picture or this or that. And, but I never revealed any of it. And I was playing pregnant women on TV and I was lying to my producers about where I was going and hearing, you know, a producer say, Oh, I think we're going to get rid of your pregnancy because it's not sexy. And I'm just like, you know, all of these things. And I'm like, man, I've been through it. And the fact that I'm not saying how amazing it is that I am now here with this baby and how it actually happened to me felt like a disservice to us, to me, my husband and my child. My husband, on the other hand, was like, he comes from a family that is very private and he didn't want to even reveal to our son how he came about. And I said, but why? That's so shameful. That puts shame on me as a mom saying that you're not okay with what happened and you don't want him to know that mommy was broken or mommy didn't have eggs that were working. Yeah. I was going to say, so, you're not broken, not, not broken, broken, not, not broken. broken. Now I, had, I put that on my Instagram in the middle of the night and I was like, dad, I woke up. I'm like, no, I'm not. I felt broken. Yeah. I you felt, felt broken. broken. Yeah. But it was just shameful to not say it, to not talk about it. And by the way, I don't talk about it to everyone that we meet and everyone that we talk to. Not everybody has to know. Right. I mean, right. But I really wanted to advocate for it. And I told my husband that People Magazine said, oh, we we heard, you know, they knew that I was pregnant and they wanted to do an announcement. We had a big powwow with like a bunch of people being like, said, I really want, I want to use this as an opportunity to actually talk about what happened. And everyone's like, are you sure? Mm -hmm. You know, and someone said, well, you don't have to tell them your story. And I was like, And that right there, I was like, I know, but it's my story. And I want people to know my story. I don't want people to know this fake story of Cinderella that I'm here. I am pregnant at 40, you know, one years old. I wanted them to know what it really took to get there. Yeah. Well, it honors your journey. It honors you as a person, all your strifes, all the successes, the pain along the way. But I do understand that there are other people who are not sharing this, but I thank you very much for your transparency. And I know that you are making a huge difference in how you're using your platform. You're honoring Morrison's journey and his history, and he will be better for it to know that his mama really wanted to meet him, really wanted to meet him. And one way or another, I was going to meet you and you were meant for us. So thank you. Oh my gosh, Camille, because (laughs) it's... (laughs) 
I just really am really thankful because some people think it's just, there's just no way. There's just no way that this is going to happen for me. So you're opening up the possibilities. You're doing your part and we're all better for it. So, you know, I think one of the more important things that I want to always bring up when it comes to egg donation is that it isn't for everybody, but I do speak out because I also want to erase the stigma that I felt, you know, in the beginning of making this choice that felt so hard for me at the time. And it's so funny because I was saying the other day, I was just offered free eggs from someone and it's like, you know, like an embryo bank and I chose my egg donor in a second where before it took me so long to even get to that point. And I'm speaking out because I want to erase that stigma. I want to also make this world for my son a little bit better. I don't want people to look at him like he's different because he's not. And I want people to just see that family building can come in all different shapes and sizes, just like we as people can. And that not everybody builds a family so straight. You're lucky if that's the case. And egg donation is also a choice. And so you choose that because you want to be a mommy and you want to be a daddy and you choose that. So you're choosing this out of love. You know, I'm the same with adoption or the same with even wanting to have a baby. You're wanting to have a baby because you're choosing because you want to love this child. So it's all in the same umbrella. I just think we have to start looking at things differently. And that's one of the reasons why I still speak out and will forever speak out and advocate for this for my son and for his future, too. Oh, Camille, thank you so much. It's so nice to meet you. It's so nice to meet you. It's so nice to meet you, too. Camille, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. It is so inspirational. It is yet another example of how deep a mother's love can go to know that there's a child out there that you must connect with that is waiting to be in your arms and you let go of expectation and open your heart to a whole new option and look at your family now. So I hope that if there's a member of our community here at New Mommy at 40 that is trying to conceive, I hope that this is yet another example or another option on the table for you. We know it may not be for everybody, but it's just good to know what all your options are. So I can't think of a better way of concluding season one of New Mommy at 40. Woohoo! We made it! I wanted to take a moment to honor all of the paths to motherhood at this stage of life. And yeah, there may have been a few that I've missed. We can always explore them next season. But I really wanted to take away any fear that someone may have if they're younger and they see that this might be their future of having a child in their 40s. We're thriving. Our kids are thriving. And yes, not all of our roads are easy, but we're here and we're a growing part of the population. So if you felt alone or you felt, oh man, I'm that old mom. You're not the only one. 
We're here. We're here to support you. And I can't wait to bring you season two. We're going to have subject matter experts and you are going to drive a lot of the topics. You're going to submit some of the questions that you have that you want experts to answer. So please get involved. Send me those DMs. Email me at info at newmommy at 40.com. You can DM me on Instagram at newmommy at 40. So make sure that you are engaged and making this community your own. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And I can't wait to see you in the fall. And now I'm going to put on our theme music one more time so we can just dance on out together. Hit it. It didn't happen in my 20s. Who cares? Now I've got all this fancy wisdom to share. Hey, I've got this baby again. And the best of 